वेलकम टू सिंटॉक द सिंटॉक इज अराउंड द टेबल टुडे डिस्कस द रेसिपी ऑफ रेनेसांस विल थिंक अबाउट रेनेसांस इन अ जनरल एज वेल एज अ हिस्टोरिकल सेंस यूजिंग आइडियाज फ्रॉम लिटरेचर फिलोसफी हिस्ट्री ऑफ साइंस टेक्नोलॉजी एंड रेनेसांस स्टडीज हाउ इज द पोटेंशियल फॉर द फ्यूचर कंटेंट इन द प्रेजेंट what are the essentials of renaissance and what leads to it is or are renaissance of actuality or a polemical or a nostalgic label is it a period of discontinuity can renaissance be caused or predicted or is it always unprecedented is there a constant tussle between faith and reason what are the links with the perception of time and in this context what is the future of language and logic We are pleased and privileged to have three sin talkers with us here today. Professor Nagarjuna Ji, he does empirical epistemology in the context of learning, and has been interested in the history of ideas. He is at the Homi Bhabha Center for Science Education in Mumbai. Professor Ramlan Das Gupta, he teaches English at Jadavpur University in Kolkata. professor r radhakrishnan who teaches english and comparative literature at uci in usa So Radha, why don't we set the ball rolling with you? Um, what does the word Renaissance mean to you? Um, what is it a rebirth of? Um, have there been many Renaissances? Is there a, is it a label you agree with? Why don't we start in a very general place and we'll make it specific as we go along? Yeah, it's interesting uh, thinking of the word uh, uh, Renaissance. I mean, is that uh, a substantive in itself, mm. or does it need to have something like? Uh, a hindu renaissance an islamic renaissance a bengali renaissance yeah. kind of makes me think of it in terms of uh, how many protocols there are of renaissances depending on location mm-hmm. uh, and the other is in terms of even the word itself when you translate that it might be punaruddharan in one language could be marumalarchi in tamil which indicates organicity efflorescence mm-hmm. so built into the term are mm. certain linguistic variations which may may what to think about the relationship between conceptuality right and how concepts are accommodated anchored in specific languages so that might be interesting and one other thing to say and then i'll you know love to hear where the conversation goes and what the term might mean in different disciplines mm-hmm. renaissance for example in, in physics versus for example in the humanity renaissance can be a kind of a haunting old things come back mm. because these things have not been superannuated once and for all mm. but what if somebody suddenly said the ptolemaic theory of something can it ever come back mm. some theory of combustion that belongs so i'm kind of interested in the renaissance as being to what extent is it forward looking what extent is it backward looking so in itself in, the word is rebirth right yeah so. in a rebirth indeed of what and right. if, i mean to be kind of ontological if something is being reborn does it really pre-exist the actual rebirth right or is it a kind of an anticipatory teleologically fulfilling kind of a renaissance or is right. it the birth of something 
totally new. And right. if it's totally new, then is it an expression of a radical discontinuity mm. uh, or even the discontinuity that happening within specific traditions mm -hmm. rather than happening in a kind of a free open space with the space already hemmed in within a particular hermeneutic or epistemological tradition. So it really isn't, which is why I'll stop it there. The notion of a recipe makes me pause. A recipe is a premeditated. Right. It's something formulaic about a recipe. Right. Even if what is in the recipe isn't known in right. some, you know, gestural kind of way, it's a recipe. So it's a kind of a combinatorics of certain things. Mm -hmm. So it can be reduced to, you know, uh, an answer to an intention rather than something happening in a more freewheeling, uh, kind of a transgressive kind of way. So those are some of the things. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, and there's some ideas there. I think we'll come and unpack them as we go along. What happens, Omlon, if we just think of the European Renaissance, the Italian Renaissance, maybe pick that as a little bit of a prototype? Uh, I think that Ratha has really put a lot of ideas on board. Mm. Uh, and a number of things come to my mind. Let me start with this business about uh, haunting. I, I'm, I think this is really interesting idea because Petrarch, for instance, right. is, is, is really ghost-ridden. He's constantly <laughs> trying to, to do this kind of, you know, revival of ghosts of the past, writing them letters, speaking to them, scolding them, scolding Cicero in this famous letter that he writes. You know. He was actually doing that. Yeah, he, he, he writes this letter to Cicero calling him this, oh, angry old man, why do you... Why do you leave philosophy and go go and do politics? So, so uh, <laughs> you know this 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 kind of uh, disapproval of mm. of of the past mm. is is only there when you can imagine these figures of the past in a way different from. But disapproval tinged with nostalgia. With imagine. nostalgia and 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 the greatest of ad admiration. Right. Or it would be more of Cicero if he didn't do politics and didn't right. get into all these cabals and things like that. Right. So that's one one thing that this this whole th the other is um, regarding the term itself regarding it's always appeared to me in the, the first things I try to tell my students when I start is that if you use the word renaissance you're actually making three submissions one is that there is a rebirth mm -hmm. and that something died mm -hmm. and that something existed before before that so mm -hmm. the all three are packed into this single word, word. And so uh, in in the case of of the european renaissance uh, we all know that this this kind of attempt to 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 bypass the um, european middle ages as as they are called and and dis disregard or devalue its uh, of course as as we all know that that the the european the, the particularly the early european renaissance intellectuals are far more far closer to the middle ages to the degree that many would would say that there is no real break and the Who break do you have in mind well i would i would say that that um so if we're talking one, about the early if one 14th looks, century or where no, I, I think that that if you look at the at this rise of humanism business, the humanism right. as a thing, so it's been fairly efficiently demonstrated now that it all started way back in the 12th century. Right. So if it goes on from the 12th century, where is the break? Right. So it's this gradual growth of interest in secular studies. Mm. So it's in some sense 
the, an interesting thing is that within the Middle Ages, there is the growth of a secular, of a set of secular disciplines, mm. and uh, which which are really practiced for for uh, creating new kinds of opportunities of employment. And at one point, we start calling it humanism, but that comes later, say, as you rightly say, in the early 15th century or slightly mm. late, earlier than that. Petrarch is a is an early figure, but Petrarch in many ways is the great conjunctural figure because uh, I just like to end by making this one point is that, you see, if if it's looking at the past and this understanding of the past, when Dante looks at his past and talks about Virgil, he sees Virgil as a moral guide. Yeah. When Petrarch looks at the past and thinks about Virgil, he sees the poem written in dactylic hexameters. Right. And so what he imitates is the poem, and right. not as Dante does, treats Virgil as a moral guide. Right. So I think something changes there. There is a change. So it's undeniable, but... but what What is that change? The change is the way like in which the past can be seen. The way in which the past is seen. I think that that is the real way that at every point, I think that for all of us at any time, what we see when we look back right. very much depends upon how what we are, how we constitute ourselves, and how we are constituted as subjects at any at any at any given. That's time. very interesting. So, yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah, why don't we open the other flank, Nagarjuna? Sciences did something interesting happen then, and for a second, if we stay in the historical way around the 14th or the 15th century when one labels the Renaissance as one does. How was that science different from the one that preceded it? What happens there? Well, before I Please. Uh, say something about the science part, but let me uh, unpack the way how um, the the term can be understood. Sure. In a, first of all, um, we need to see that it's a, it's a term of a historian. Mm. Okay, and historians tell us stories. They often dramatize. They mm-hmm. they make it look big. Otherwise, nobody will read the history. You know, they wanted to create an episode of episodal kind of thing because uh, episode is part of every story. So that's how we get trapped into these names. But for a person who is living, sure, uh, you can see that there is a continuity. Mm-hmm. And in fact, um, uh, I mean, if I have to talk about, for example, uh, scientific ideas, and mm-hmm. if you see the kind of changes that are happening. So there is this term called restructuring. Mm-hmm. So there's no doubt that ideas are restructured. Mm-hmm. Uh, but restructuring also happens when you're learning something. Mm-hmm. Because you always have some past to stand behind. And you use that and you keep restructuring. But that doesn't mean that you have completely uh, given away the past. So it is best understood as if, you know, the, the past is in the background. It's not forgotten. It, it, it can come back anytime. Uh, I mean, recently people are talking about it's just inhibited. It, it, it's, it's all there. And that's the one reason why we often see recurrence of those past ideas. 
and we see that okay it's all the same thing you know we have that deja vu kind of feeling that okay i oh yeah i've been that i I've, i've done that and now you you have that that kind of feelings you know and therefore that's the way how we actually also learn and understand uh, the past as well as the present because sure. so in that sense therefore the the restructuring when you dramatize it you say that it's kind of a rebirth or a kind of a renaissance or to use a very modern term it's rebooting you know is a very uh, kind of you know okay let, let let me start all over again kind of uh, feeling but there has to be there has to be a trigger a drive a confluence of factors for something like that because there's a lot of past behind it at any moment in time but something is rebooted something is restructured there is a harking back to a certain era certainly certain, yes yeah. yeah so there are um, interestingly you know certain very interesting episodes in history mm. um when some really important changes have taken place again from the historian's reconstruction point of view sure uh one of them could be in terms of for example separating the object from its properties or mm-hmm. experience from what is being experienced and mm-hmm. things like that mm-hmm. so that was possibly uh, one of the first uh epoch mm. uh, that's when you know for example people like pre-socratics and socratics and also the post plato was celebrating that uh you know the the soup the conceptual soup that they created right out of nowhere you know and it wasn't there because it was part of your reality your part of your experience your part of your appearance but then you started separating out these layers one after the other so that's possibly an interesting uh for a historian of ideas trying to look at you know what must have happened there was such a big thing it's a it's a birth right. of something new right you know you suddenly and, and started separating out things and at some level uh, are phases of this nature always preceded by you know within quotes some kind of dark age is there would you say that if one were to just line up all the renaissances you and see say the, the, this this whole idea of the dark age is becomes possible mm-hmm. or becomes as it were a sense that in the sense that 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 uh, nagarjuna is pointing out uh, only when one has is is in a time which one thinks is different yes this this the sense change. yes it's a, it's a, it's post a kind of, of post the change you think of the earlier period as being better or worse or dark or or lighted or or whatever sure. now one point that i would like to introduce here just just trying to sort of comment on what nagarjuna said is that it appears to me and i just like your feeling about this that renaissance historiography the way that they look at themselves is celebratory without being redemptive it's not redemptive it is not redemptive in the sense that it's still married to a fairly a fairly negative christian view of the universe and of human salvation mm-hmm. at the same time it is celebratory and it seems to me that this if you're looking at the change from the 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 anthropology of the middle ages it appears to me that there is something to be marked here right this it, it is an interesting point i don't know f- how how we can push this f- forward but i was thinking about it that that it it certainly that if you look at the the, the way in which that they are celebrating all this newness all this you know arrival of classical studies but at the same time it that is not really altering 
if you like. It's not really altering the um, the way in which the uh, the as it were the fate of the human soul is being uh, is being thought about. And right. the, the interesting point. But that does something might happen be, to the church? Something well, happens. Well, it many things happen. The most interesting episode in Renaissance religion would be the Reformation. Of course. Um, but but there are a, a lot of things happening. There's Trent. There's there's Counter Reformation theology. There's the Society of Jesus. Slightly later, uh, there are all these other schools of 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 theology. Which, but my my uh, feeling is, and I'd just like also to sort of put this on board before we go any further, is that one interesting point you have to think is that all these vitalist ideas, mm-hmm. rebirth, renovation. Uh, reformation mm. are all biblical terms. Mm. They are all part of the new discourse, the discourse of newness in mm. St. Paul's writings. Mm. What interests me is that largely in the Renaissance sense of this newness of time, this part is not activated. Because that specifically is about the soul and not about the time. Not about material conditions, not about knowledge, not about right. academics, not about books, not about texts. Right. Yeah. Right. Was, yeah, this is fascinating. I was just thinking of it in terms of using Foucault's term, history of the present. Mm. So is there a crisis? And if there is a crisis, are we looking back or are we looking forward? Uh, and to what extent uh, is something like an origin uh, become necessary? How do we activate it? And in terms of, you know, for example, if there's a renaissance, a renaissance is a kind of a, uh, a re-territorialization of what existed already. Right. And I think in that context, I mean, when do we need to look at the past? You know, when there is danger, Walter Benjamin would say that until then things seem to be okay, there's a crisis, and then there's a suddenly need to look back at the past. So there's a double looking upon the one hand, a projective, a futural uh, kind of a dispensation, but then how do you valorize it in the name of what? Mm. That's when you need a certain currency. That is the moment the Renaissance kind of decides who is us and who is them. So in the Renaissance can either be an act of further re-entrenchment of who you already are in a kind of a uh, an indigenous autochthonous way, or it can be the moment of looking somewhere else, of kind of loosening up who we are and realigning the relationship between who we are and who we think we are. So it seems to me it also comes down to uh, the act of naming it, uh, the distinction between what's, for example, the, the big used to be the postmodern. It always exist. Yeah. It's always existed maybe in Itihasa, maybe in Tristram Shandy and Herman Melville, but there comes a stage when you want to say, I want to call it that. Right. So it becomes an act of, almost an act of baptism, a kind of recognition in epistemology of something that's already been there floating around in ontological space, but now is calling forth for a certain autonomization. Now these things have come together in a certain way, the fragment has become the real deal. So there are many issues, one of course of aligning the phenomenon with what you want to call it. And the second is the question of revisiting the past uh, and then back again to is it organic, is it one's own, is it essentialist, non-essentialist? Uh, and then do you want to call it, you know, Gramsci, you know, Italian Renaissance. Yeah. So in a strange way, you're looking back, yeah. looking back in a way that will not let the past be. Yeah. 
it's being recognized in a way in you which it never saw well. itself mm. and out of that comes questions of globalization shakespeare and renaissance is boy you know colonization people are traveling all over the place so it becomes shakes up so i'm interested in is it identitarian or is it more along lines of representation where identity is loosened up and the geography is being constantly remarked the cartography changes and along with that comes questions of uh, has this been an epistemic you know a paradigmatic after this it's like england will never be the same again right you know something will never be the same again so it's kind of for example when i was doing my dissertation back in the 1978 all a whole generation were fixated on the break yeah you know bashala uh, fukod the break was important post this post and it's absolutely it's almost as if to say even if history repeats itself we will render certain kind of things epistemologically dead and defunct there was a need to kind of clearly say we were that which of course obviously was a polemical exaggeration mm. so the, the, the rebirth then in a strange way in being a renaissance uh, is this an identical repetition non identical repetition to use deleuze and gattari or to use nietzsche is that eternal return really it's all the same Yeah. So it's so is the change of the level of naming or I mean the Nietzsche's question was the really great person is the one who can just stay on and nothing will change and I can deal with it. Yeah. It's only the anthropocentric human <laughs> being who wants the solace of teleology, progress, dispensation, things will change, but in reality it just is it's a becoming but we feel happy giving it a subject object predicate as if we're doing something about it so it's it's kind of uh, so that's where it seems to me uh, but i'm really interested in the geographical markers of how the renaissance uh, creates at strategic moments and us and then at them and get routed through either yeah, nationality it's a moment of opportunity yeah it requires mediation yeah. it becomes yeah. a nation state or it becomes something else and that becomes the standard bearer of this you know unlocatable you know a flux of energy is there something interesting there amlan about uh, it's a bit of a chicken and egg problem you know yeah. i mean are these things happening because you know there's there's ideas of new ideas of nation new ideas of selfhood new yeah. economic things changes in trade routes yeah technologies technologies of travel yeah uh discoveries and, or or uh, the 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 way in which the western europe comes to know about certain technologies more 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 uh, becomes more available like like printing and and sure. of the earlier than that so it it appears to me in particular in ship building new 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 ways of ship building new tech technologies of ship so evidently you are seeing at within a fairly short period of time you are seeing a great many things that you might call new within inverted commas right but i'm within really, different domains within different domains but i'm right. i'm really very very you know intrigued by what nagarjuna pointed out is that is it that the way in which historians invite us to look at these changes or these things as being more important than other changes which have been going on all the time so that's very interesting mm. when there changes going on isn't the, the history of technology continuous history so things are being happening all the time 
Roger Bacon is a medieval figure. He was a great, great, great chemist. The Islamic, uh, the Arab uh, scientists uh, were doing all these, all yeah. the, all these things, and they were really great scientists. And so, in, in fact, if you think of of Arabic science, I mean, how 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 much of a break is there? Uh, and and also whether at all the the scientific renaissance is something worth talking about compared to the scientific revival of of the 17th century or the late, late 17th century which which really is far more you know so, so so it 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 appears to me very important to to try to understand this the self understanding of these periods of change is it true to say is it true to say that we are really um witnessing a great many changes happening all together in an unprecedented manner or is that what the historian advises us or prompts us to see i think that is is one of the things that i and well, clearly the, the 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 arc of history is not even no it's not it's not it's not even and, but and it's possible that different domains kind of come together in a but, manner but but other things be. may have happened which are not being activated here you sure so so that does that invalidate the things one draws one's no, attention to no no not to? at all not at all right so right. in in some sense people thought that a renaissance was happening basari was writing about this renaissance of antiquity Petrarch was talking about the florescence of of knowledge and thing. So they are e- aware, even at that moment yes, in time. Yes, yes, yeah. I think I think Amlan make an interesting point about recognition. Yes, mm. that all recognition is generic. For example, you what know, does that Thomas, mean? Uh, that is, you know, in history. So, for example, we say, who knows reality best? Historians tell certain kind of stories. Somebody tells a parable. A philosopher says something else. Right. So to that extent, it's a generic law that makes you look for certain kinds of things. A philosopher might say, uh, you know, working maybe on the long durée or something else, that might say that all these breaks are always already part of, uh, you know, pre-existing teleology. So I think mm-hmm. I'm just interested in the act mm-hmm. of recognition. Mm-hmm. Is it discursive? Is the, is a break in the real or the way in which we talk about it? I mean, and then you know, in in a pole, no polemical, not in a bad way in a strategic each genre has a way of kind of shoring up certain kinds of its own master concepts yeah and then the break becomes a particular kind of disturbance so here comes Foucault who says the discontinuity the one thing which is a scandal in history we have not talked about that and the break <laughs> becomes big right uh, and right. somebody else might come and say and a good example of that is good old T.S. Eliot you know tradition and the individual talent you know something new comes up and then you say no it, it, it can it cannot be sui generis it cannot be a maverick thing right so already has to be so I'm interested in that that but notion of recognition yeah. so yeah. what is it that is continuous and then how we look at it and recognize it the, the mechanism changes uh, so is it maybe the in itself in a philosophical way rather than you know the way you look at it right. and I think there I think genre has an interesting way of kind of sensitizing you for That's certain kinds of things and history has its own way of creating you know in a certain sense historicity is a product of history and temporality something other yeah. and and phenomenology has been a great example as you move from Heidegger to you know to you know to to Husserl to Merleau-Ponty yeah uh, how do you co-think history yeah you know with you know the bracketing versus you know uh, that itself so that it seems to me so recognition is indeed a matter of uh, generic uh, acknowledgement 
Right. It's not just that. Right. 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 That's very important. What, yeah, what about uh, Nagarjuna? Let's ask the factual questions around uh, for for a few minutes. What exactly happened to the science? Maybe use that as a little bit of a prototype to think about the recipe question. Would you say that there is a fundamental break in the approach, the epistemology of the way things was done and not done yeah, before like, and after? Yeah, like you know, over a period of time, when you start looking at the history of uh, ideas as it evolved, mm. you always like to look for some characterization of certain, you know, significant changes that sure. happened. Sure. So, so one. So you're change, saying you, you one, get one, it because you look for it. Uh, well, uh, also because that's the way it is also presented to us. Because, you know, you, you, <laughs> sure. you are helpless, right? You know, you, you look back and read history of science written by uh, a historian and, and you look at it and then you are helpless to see that. And and so so one of the things, for example, we find very clearly is that uh, during the time of the European as well as the scientific revolution, mm. uh, we... It's it's about uh, new language being used. New language. New language being used to describe the world. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's not that um, you know Euclid. You would used, say that that's a statement of fact, right? Uh, which which is a statement of fact. But at the same time, it wasn't the case that Euclid and Archimedes didn't use that language. They were also using mathematics. I'm actually talking about mathematics, other than sure. the natural science, sure. natural language. See, mathematics is a subset, a very constrained subset of natural language. But sure. but it is uh, it has its own character, and, and that language was there with Euclid, it was there with Archimedes, mm. but then you know Galileo, Descartes, and Newton, you know, sort of use that language, say as though the nature's laws were written in that language, and therefore they were actually trying to again uncover that part. But so if you, if again, you, the recognition that yeah, nature's so, laws are probably written in mathematics that happened then. So so the point the point I think there was that. Uh, if I were to do a Foucault of the modern uh, kind of period, I would say there is a real epistemic break there. Mm. Uh, because uh, you were earlier talking and describing the world in terms of experience and properties. But now you're talking about what is measurable property mm. against immeasurable properties. Now you're trying to actually coming out with description of the world. It's a poetics of the world where you are trying to use properties only those which can be measured and mm. are amenable to mathematical language. Mm. So therefore, it's now a challenge for the for the new generation to to learn this new language and try to deal with describing the world with it and then provide explanatory models for it using using that kind of uh, world. And therefore, it's it's help. It, it's it's almost. Uh, uh, important for me to talk about these things uh, to the students who wanted to understand what is science, for example. So that's where you do see some kind of a break. But then, let me again emphasize that it's it's a break because we wanted to dramatize it. But if you actually look at it, it's, it's a kind of uh, uh, recapitulation and uh, re-representation of the existing structures. Right. But what we do not know is what is bridging the two. That, in our understanding today in epistemology, there is a break. What do you mean by that? In the sense that we don't have a very good connection between, let's say, experience and mathematical imagination. Sure. 
Uh, that is the problem of discovery, the context of discovery and the context of justification as it is put mostly in philosophy of science. Sure. People say, okay, ideas come. And now once I have a theory, I can explain the world. Sure. But how did you come how did to you get, the idea? get the idea? Yeah. So yeah. that part is not completely understood. Yeah. And it's, therefore, there mm. is a, therefore you feel that there is a break mm. because the bridge is not filled as it. So Amlan, picking on this, would you say that uh, some fundamental change in the way language is dealt with or played with is an in essential ingredient, not just sticking to the recipe metaphor for a second, for yes. for a change of this nature? Is, yes. is there something fundamental about yes. language? Did something fundamental, similar happen not, to Italian? Not only, Did something... not only about language, but also the material conditions of the circulation of language mm -hmm. in physical forms, that is to say, the, te the textuality. Right. For me, uh, the European Renaissance particularly, and I would certainly think that that is also true of the Bengal Renaissance, the so-called Bengal Renaissance, because, uh, I mean, I say so-called because uh, many Bengali historians have... It was a mimetic act? Or? It was, it was uh, they, they think of... Uh, the term Renaissance as a term of value. And I, I am not comfortable with this understanding of Renaissance as a term of value, that, that, that we did, we became, you know, literate, we became right. educated, we became... I'm not very comfortable with that idea, but, but whatever. I think, I think that there is a very strong textual basis and the circulation of texts mm -hmm. is, for me, a very important... Uh, thing I just give, like to give you one one set of examples, which is sure. the birth of literary criticism for the first time in mm. Europe, which happens sometime in the 16th century, mm -hmm. largely because of the new availability of Aristotle's poetics. Uh, the texts of Plato became become available. Mm -hmm. The text of Longinus becomes available for the, first time. The, for the first time. That is to say, for the first time. But again, in, this is it, it's it's there in it's there with the Arabs. Yeah. yeah. The there are two there are two <laughs> translations of, of Avicenna and and Averroes who who had not seen not not the foggiest about what tragedy was. So they they thought of tragedy as being something quite different. But they wrote these commentaries and things. Nevertheless, right now. Uh, a bit of this was translated into Latin, 13-something, by a guy who was called Hermann the German, <laughs> Hermanus Alemanus. <laughs> and this was the thing that the late Middle Ages knew. But before that, much before that, there was William of Moerbeke. Before that, there was Boetius, who were all working with texts of... of so the idea of break, I'm absolutely with Nagarjuna there. The idea of break is something which historians will tell you about. But right. if you look at, try to say that, what is the history of the text of Aristotle's poetics? You will find that it, there are a number of iterations, as it were, of the text appearing and disappearing in, in history and having these peculiar traces. But to come back to the 16th century, what happens really is that the art, the the recognition to take this word the recognition of the text is in a is is in a, well people have read a bit of Cicero they've read Plato they are strongly Christianized and they put all of this together right and create this peculiar mishmash which goes by the name of Renaissance literary criticism Aristotle Horace Plato 
all put together they're all saying the same thing right they must be saying the same thing because they're all great aren't they they're all classical <laughs> great classical right. masters they must be saying the same thing right and it takes a long time to sort this out right right through the classical period that's to say coming of it I, I think and that, and and how elite is this affair? Is it is it happening oh, just oh, very, within the? Very, it, the participation, of course, can come because it's not like was there a renaissance happening for? And I I mean it in both of these contexts, in the context of yes, literary criticism yes. as well as renaissance in a general way. In the case of art, of the of the plastic arts and the visual arts, there is an artisanal participation. There is. so that is for me very important and i would tend to think that at one point of time from the artisan you have the artist perhaps like fully in time of michelangelo yeah by by time of michelangelo but michelangelo also comes from an artisanal as it were uh, background so this is one way that you might think of participation sure the other is in the case of of this entire humanist business is uh, of course it's it's something like a meritocracy if mm. you are able to learn your latin well mm. if you're able to sort of master your cicero and the uh, learn the rhetoric of quintilian uh, and and be able to write Sure. Good things, then you can you can be on par with those who have family and and aristocratic background. But beyond that, but isn't beyond there, that, isn't there translation happening simultaneously into different yes, vernacular languages? Translation is the, so it's 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 actually a, a whole grid of activities. First, there is the discovery of texts. Then there is the reading of texts. Then there is the editing of texts and the translating of texts. Then there is the copying or imitation of texts. So you have things written, say Ariosto's poem. written in Im- imitation of virgil but when adiosto writes it he writes it in in stanzaic form in in italian how autonomous is this affair omlan when are there are there patrons is this top down bottoms up what's happening always, there are a always. whole bunch of patronage, things patronage patronage is the 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 motor it's it's what keeps it going all artistic activity requires patronage <laughs> because the markets are not the markets for art until you come to the evolution of the book market in a fully formed manner right uh, you you are working and and even up well in into the, the 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 english renaissance which will take you up to the 17th century uh, books are not selling you know books you can't make money selling just selling books right uh, so so most poetry john dun for instance didn't publish anything at all <laughs> it was all in manuscript after he and was published after he died so so most lyric poets most po- people who did poetry then were and they and they thought it not not proper to to publish because that would be uh, a kind of bad thing to do so uh, to to answer your question in a more direct manner uh, participation is very patchy mm-hmm there are people who would say that it's it's just as the great huitzinga once said that the renaissance in this sense is a sunday morning dress that europe suddenly <laughs> suddenly puts on but the real change happens with the reformation right which sort of breaks it from within the you know mm-hmm. involving the sort of souls of of individuals but right. then you might think that even that is an overstatement because 
at the bottom, religion remains a form of magic. I mean, and people change from being Catholics to Protestants and Protestants. To, uh, what does it really matter to them? I mean, I mean they, they go on doing the same thing. That's what Keith Thomas uh, shows until uh, you get to a, a later period, perhaps. When, but I, I think that these these are the, the question of participation, the question of penetration are, are important questions. And of course, the great question which was asked by John Kelly was that did women have a renaissance? Yeah. It was a great essay that <laughs> yeah. she wrote. Yeah. And uh, well, the answer is on the whole, no. Right. On the whole, no. There were people, women, who were able to participate. There were opportunities being offered by educationists for women. But on the whole, they were, it's not It's not that they were They were equal participants. Sure, sure. I mean, a lot of sure. work done on sure. women's, women mm-hmm. things. And yeah, I, th- I think, point. yeah. Please go ahead. No, no, I, I'm just <laughs> saying that that's a wonderful point. Yeah, I think... Uh, what understand who constructs Renaissance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And whose Renaissance is it? Is it yes. okay, anyway? Yes. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, yeah. that's the point. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, that kind of brings us to the question of, of you, know, you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, the Renaissance as either uh, elitist or demotic or as, you know, vernacular or... Uh, um, one of the interesting things is uh, uh, is a renaissance by definition a revolution. So what makes us say that at a particular moment the scale yes. of change is essential and not adventitious yes. uh, and then shifts in centrism. The human was always there as part of a larger theological and then at one point there is an, you know, the movement separation of church and state. And I think it's interesting when the renaissance happens and it seems to me the whole question of what knowledge is about mm-hmm. That becomes, I mean, on the one hand, there are processes, mm-hmm. and they're just what they are, but what is it about? Mm. And I'm thinking of this beautiful poem by W.H. Orton, and begin by, about suffering, they were never wrong, the old masters. Right. And I always tell my students, please notice that the first word is about, right. not just, you know, inversion. And I keep telling them, because the poem is about, about. I mean, yeah. what does it mean to be from whose point of view? Where is the light shining from? Yeah. Human, angelic, from Christ's body. Yeah. So I think what it does then is when you think there's a paradigm shift, there's something that is happening which makes you feel like yeah. what it's all about, that centrality has been dislodged. Yeah. And I think what seemed, you know, what was canonical, you assume that it was all about that. Now, that particular claim to knowledge, that truth claim has been, in some sense, been relativized or has been rendered prehistory. But on the other hand, in the humanity, that which you think have retired might continue to haunt you. So it isn't as if the break is absolute, which is why I began by saying, I mean, what is that? I mean, thinking of someone like a Thomas Kuhn, the essential tension between the old and the new, is the new then just a matter of a new combinatorics? Or, mm. you know, what are the, you know, how can we judge if a certain change is indeed, you know, uh, radical or not. But is it a matter of mind? coincidence rather that the Reformation, the Renaissance, the scientific revolution, they're all kind of within a century or so of each other? Yeah, I mean... It, it, is, yeah. Is, is it a coincidence? Can I ask a question? The question is that, is a revolution a Renaissance? Yeah, I mean... Mm-hmm. It, that's it. I think not, yeah, question to be asked. Inverted question. Is the Russian Revolution a Renaissance? Is the American Revolution a Renaissance? No. 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 So I'm, is it so, is it a rebirth? So so the idea of rebirth is less important than the idea of destruction of the past. No, is that is that right? Does it have to do with the fact that it has to be across many many domains? Um, like a Russian Revolution, may be largely a political affair, largely a political act. But if you think of it across 
arts and politics and science yeah. and that's and, a great it, example there was a yeah. revolution and the debate between you know people like lukash on the one hand and adorno on the and other there's the nothing called proletarian literature yeah. i mean the revolution happened but does not mean that the revolution pre knows its own mediation they have to find their own particular form yeah. and you can commandeer Yeah. you know epistemology through the political so there is a kind of a difference triations among the revolution and they are all, they cannot be reduced to a they're all non synchronous yeah. they are residual structures hegemonic structures emerging structures so i yeah. don't think it is but i do want to come back to uh, when you want to sort of uh, when there is a renaissance often there is a sense of a crisis in india it might well have been the west and then sure. in bengal something happens you know you yes. know and then subramani bharati who calls himself shelly dasa yeah. he talks about the new woman yeah. but there is some kind of a connection between the need to kind of break the old and then where is the threat coming from mm. are you perceiving from within your own culture your own insufficiency mm. any culture is after all finite you can't have it all sure. but is it coming in the form of a reactiveness to someone else who has inferiorized you right. uh, and then then you begin to say okay this is a revolution and you want to make sure i mean this used to be is a revolution relevant so there are two there are two kind of spatialities that's a beautiful one, question one yeah. is epistemic spatiality yeah the other is socio political always okay communism in bengal yeah uh, always the question of you know communism on the one hand is going to be deracinated the idea is creating a new uh, space altogether but you're always thinking if we use that is it germane is it one's own is yeah. it organic to a particular location yeah. so in terms of that there is always this tension between wanting to reconcile that not with one's own roots but it might be relevant so in that sense do we simultaneously want to go back to the past uh, and somehow sneak in the past uh at the it's almost like saying that there is value but you want to give it currency do you want to call it dollar centric euro centric the value <laughs> is important but then you want to make sure that the value is coded in a way that does not in any way alienate your sense right. of who you are there's always that anxiety right. uh, about kind point. of you know anchoring it so that's why the looking back at the past so what would your recipe be rather I mean I would want it to be kind of non-essentialist. I mean my my real question is you know there's no harm in looking back at one's past. Mm. But the question is are you kind of consecrating it? Mm. Uh so I will leave it at that. I mean revolution in some sense has to be germane to whatever one's own needs are. Mm. So one uses terms like soil, you know, one's own conditions, mm. but are these metaphors organic or they tie you down mm. or is it a matter of an ongoing negotiation between a certain kind of displacement which you need to kind of replace and call it your own? Because the revolution that you can call it your own cannot be a revolution i mean it 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 is some sense already domesticated so can a revolution be caused can a renaissance be caused <laughs> forget the word revolution the word renaissance, renaissance. can uh, it be caused in a in a only in a in a very in a very uh private sense in a very private <laughs> sense that they can be uh you can think of of a rebirth i mean i'm thinking but there of, has to be a qualifying scale of change it it is possible only within a pre-existent set of values like if you think of uh, the christian christian life you know modern modern christianity say say people people like um, what's his name bultmann who talking about this moment of change that you experience which is the moment of contact with the divine there's nothing else i mean he, they they sort of bultmann wrote this 
this thing about um, the, the need for Christianity to get rid of its mythology. Of oh, get rid of its mythology. So mm-hmm. get all, all these things about you know Genesis and things. Let's get rid of it. So it's it's just a question of the way that we seize a certain truth. Uh, the point is that can Christianity dispense with the sacrifice of God? If it does, does it remain Christianity? Right. Bultmann hesitates at this point. So, but but the point is that. It's it's only here that you can think of this as being a renaissance, you see. Is that that is renaissance, that is revolution, that is change, that is metamorphosis, that is renovation. However you want to see it, however you want to describe it. But it's in that context, Omlan. It's only in that, in that context. context. So in that only, sense, it's not... It's, because no, we but want it's, renaissance but it's to have a somewhat far-reaching... But it's complete. But I, I, I'll... Take issue with the point about the of revolution because revolution, if you if you think about it, the break with the past is even greater than in the sense of the Renaissance. Certainly. In the Renaissance, there is still continuity with the past. It does not preclude continuity with the past. In the case of the revolution, all aspects of the past, as it were, now become shunned, as it were. They, you cannot think of them anymore I mean, so it's kind of this this image that benjamin has of blasting right this out this of the continuum of history and the blasting it out right. and that creating that so uh, but i'm uh, in a sense i am i i agree with you that that these in some sense create restrictiveness or or operate on the basis of restrictiveness and i i think that up something which I don't know whether there is a recipe for renaissance. And so it's I think always unprecedented? The way you unprecedented. Can it be predicted if not caused? I don't think so. I don't think so. It, I think that it can be it can be recognized. I mean, it's it, a question it can, more of recognition. You recognize this as being a renaissance. In a little bit of a post-facto simultaneous sense. Simultaneous mm-hmm. sense, but it, it is only... When you put these together and think of this as being a renaissance, I'll give you an example, a very simple example from, say, say music. Mm. At one point of time, you think that now really that there has been a renaissance of music. A renaissance in that something is truly reborn. You might say that that the, the time between 1930 and 19. 19- 70 the time in which there were there was Nikhil Banerjee Ali Akbar Khan Ravi Shankar Vlad Khan was a time of renaissance in indian instrumental north indian instrumental classical music because they made it anew it was a break from the past and it's something which modern artists will continue to have as a kind of burden around their shoulders right. because they can't break with it right. that's also important that that's they, interesting. that sort of yeah. it's 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 not something that I can dispense with. So everybody, yeah. even the greatest ones, <laughs> yeah. are now playing in the same styles. Yeah. But they broke so fundamentally with their past. Yeah. So that uh, appears to me. But whether that was the work of history or not, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, a quick, quick example. I was thinking of uh, my good friend Chandralekha, the dancer, yeah. yes, who yes, was no was. more. Uh, you know, she clearly, her objective was, in her own words, she told me years ago, to rid Bharatanatyam of its transcendental signified. Mm. So in doing that, she unlike someone like a T.M. Krishna, who, yeah. you know, who is anchored as a Carnatic musician, so hers is both a revolution, and a revolution in the space called Bharatanatyam. Yeah. 
It's both transitive and intransitive. So yes. in a strange way, she was also saying in doing that, she was recovering aspects of physicality, yeah. eroticism yeah. that were already there in the form, but yeah. which have been either othered or, you know, sanitized or brahminized or whatever. So it's a kind of a peculiar what Tagore would, you know, Tagore Gandhi mm. did is both a freedom and a freedom from. Mm. It's a freedom, mm -hmm. but the moment it's a freedom from, what mm. it's a freedom from mm. haunts you. Mm. Uh, so, so in, for, in her case, it was, uh, uh, you know, clearly rooted. So for her, the main thing was that there is something called a transcendental signifier that what makes Bhatanatyam what it is, I want to kind of get rid of that altogether. So that seemed like an act of complete, you know, uh, a break. But yeah. in doing that, there was a certain revisiting of something that already was there in so it's a kind of a double deal yeah. of, of, yeah. of going back uh, of, yeah. of the traces remain but the act seems like an act of uh, radical rupture yeah will there always be phases of this nature uh, actually um, mm. um, I'm really perplexed about um, the the kind of uh, awareness and the recognition that actually happens in one's own personal life I I have two very good examples here one is Wittgenstein. Okay, he has two personalities in the sense that, of course, not at the same time, but, you know, the pre... Wittgenstein 1 and 2. Tractatus and philosophical What Russell liked and what he didn't like. So if you look at that, you know, both have influenced mm -hmm. uh, the philosophy, right. uh, you know, and it was a big impact-making factor. And the other example that comes from Indian context, for example, is Jiddi Krishnamurti. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, it was almost post-retirement age that he saw another world. Mm. He saw something else. So, and having done that, I mean, there was a, certainly a rebirth in both these cases, for, both for Wittgenstein as well as for mm -hmm. Jiddi Krishnamurti. And there, may, there could be many other examples mm. of that kind. We also have to look at such things to mm -hmm. understand what is this thing called, you know, realizing something different. And yeah. the possibilities of that, and yeah. and Kuhn tries to look at it as you know suddenly you are in a you know you, know, you are yeah. as if you are in a different world, and you know you you, mm. you you know the world is now going to be different, and the scales fell down, and you know you have a religious conversion and things like you know all these descriptions that people give, but they actually happen in somebody's life. Yeah. It's very difficult to see in a social space. As mm -hmm. you said, is, is it happening in the intellectual milieu? Maybe it it happens, but you neglect the woman. Yeah. Maybe it happens with the women, but you neglect the working class. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. maybe you work with the working class, but then you neglect some other sector of the society. Mm -hmm. Therefore, in a social space, it's very difficult to narrate these things. But there are certainly, for example, even as even as students, I mean, I'm working in the learning space, so therefore I wanted to actually say that there are times when students come and say that, you know, now I'm a completely changed person. I have I have realized that this is the way to go for me. You know, when does a person actually make that kind of a judgment of oneself? And that's the time when actually there is a rebirth with mm -hmm. respect to that person. Sure. You know, it's a, it's a kind of cognitive psychological kind of an angle yeah, to the yeah, debate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But we can't uh, ignore that because such people sometimes impact the world mm -hmm. and, sure. and start giving their description of the world and influence them, influence right. the people. Sure, 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 sure. I'd just like to make one more point about this taking, I think that's absolutely correct. You see, what we call the Reformation, the that is to say, the if you like, the religious renaissance, mm. some kind of renaissance at any rate, most of the things that Luther taught had been taught before. Mm. 
by other theologians, largely by Wycliffe. If you look at Wycliffe al- alone, you'll find about 70 or 80% of the things that Luther taught had been one way or the other taught by him. A large part of it was standard Augustinian fare. So why did Luther cause this break in the church? I think that's the place where Nagarjuna's comment makes, makes meaning. It's when this individual sees the change in one's own life and then can project that onto a number of other people that causes this and causes this fissure. And it is also a time, I, I'm also somehow, I'm thinking of the fact that at the time of time of Luther, the historical conditions are ripe for a change, but I can only recognize it post facto. Right. So, why otherwise why didn't things happen when when Wycliffe was doing it or, or John Hus was doing man. it yes <laughs> that's i think that that's one thing which has always struck me and so i, I think that it's absolutely right to say that it's it's also an, an internal a kind of change which which fuels this 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 sense so all of these great renaissance intellectuals they felt the change within themselves they're talking about that that we inhabit a new time that we are changed ourselves we have become new men is there a fundamental change in the way time is perceived? Not in the sense of just having a certain perception of history, but in the sense of the very perception of time, um, Nagarjuna. Uh, perception there, of there, time is, in what sense, actually? Is there, is, yeah. there, is there a renaissance ahead? Well, you see, the, this is an interesting question in the sense that it sort of connects to the other things. Is, the, is that, you know, uh, haven't we read some manifestos? Yeah, sure. For example, Communist Manifesto was the most popular one. Sure. But uh, uh, I have been uh, working in digital area for quite some time, last 25 years. And I have read Richard Stallman's manifesto, the copyleft manifesto, the GNU manifesto. Sure. Uh, and it, it really talks about a revolutionary change. And they are already doing it in front of us. You know, producing free knowledge, producing mm-hmm. free software, Wikipedia, you know, making out this whole digital space. So they are they're doing it with a manifesto. There, there is also this thing called activism, you know. But then it it it, it also a matter of you know some influential uh, philosophy, mm-hmm. uh, some philosopher sort of articulates it for a, a group of people to put it all together and say so that. So there's okay, an element of design almost to this. It, yeah. it looks like yes. There is, a, and also because of the fact that you know we as human beings also of course are uh, victims of the past, but at the same time we always have a plan ahead, right? We are the only planning creatures around. In the sense that we also have to plan and that is reflected in these manifestos. A couple of quick comments. I'm I'm looking at, you know, I was just thinking of, you know, temporality on the one hand, going back to, I mean, there's always a tension between a fiction that temporality is pre-discursive versus the time of the nation, the time of the woman, and the time becomes a regime. Yeah. And the question which we keep constantly asking is, could it have been otherwise? Yes. When a particular na- time of the nation belies whatever, the, not that something exists in a pristine form, sure. we can only say what went wrong. That's when you want to say we want to redeem, not redeem, in some sense, uh, find a way to read something against the grain of the nation state, yeah. against the dominant temporality. So there's always this tension between a constructed dominant temporality, which kind of situates you in a certain way, as again, is there a without to that? The other thing I wanted to talk about in the context of the Renaissance, in in terms of Nagarjuna, you know, uh, and and their former comments, is the Renaissance is simultaneously a memory and a counter memory. 
The what moment something is born, immediately you kind of think of this birth itself as being palimpsestic. There mm-hmm. have been other births before. Mm-hmm. For me, one of the most interesting examples is Chennai, mm-hmm. where any given house is two names, two addresses. <laughs> Old number 22, new, new number, number 48. And it's intended that way. <laughs> it is not meant for correction. Sure. of a normativization where do you live i live in old 48 new 32 and both are equally right it's an interesting way of kind of what you know uh, you know initially heidegger and then putting something under erasure yeah. <laughs> the idea is not to obliterate it yeah. but in the act of and then gramsci the many different traces mm-hmm. or even as you do the hubris of a renaissance that moment of the rebirth recapitulates so will there always be renaissances ahead always can we predict that i mean in given always future perfect kind yes. of we always already yeah uh, i mean i suppose it's possible since you know this time of the revolution has been in some syntactic grammatical sense you could but what will the content be uh, one wouldn't you know one wouldn't know i mean uh, we'll end with you omlan will will there always be renaissances ahead 500 years there out is, there is there is going out. to be a recurrence a of crisis with, with there's going to be a recurrence of crisis this much i know and i can confidently say whether you describe that crisis as reformation renaissance or revolution or any other revival or any other term that we have used hitherto right. for in order to describe different kinds of crisis i do not know why would there always that, be crisis i think that uh in as much as it so has to do with i think all of us with, are pessimistic enough it to is, go with no, that it is no no i'm i think that it has both to do with i think fundamentally i would like to say think that it is because of the critical nature of the engagement of human beings with their environment mm. and that is i think that the greatest yeah the greatest source of crisis that we are likely And, and why pessimistic and not optimistic crisis is as an yeah, opportunity it's, it's an for yeah, it may yeah, be yeah, an opportunity yeah. to for, for that, change yeah. it sure. may be that we all ultimately are able to 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 break out of these that would be a renaissance for me yeah break out of using fossil fuels and do something break yeah, out as of, long as long as we want to shape the world around yes. environment around yes. there will be a crisis Yeah. Yes, the crisis may be good or bad. That yeah. we might sort of in in the thing that might at it come to a time when we can all say uh, that the age of the age of big corporations selling software is gone. That might be a great. That would be a renaissance. Yeah. For But example, it could the, be that that the entire movement collapses. Yeah. The yeah. environmental movement collapses. That would be a crisis. That would yeah. be. I think the Anthropocene is a good example, which is calling for radical restructuring of every known category, yeah. every known way of thinking, yeah. and all the interrelationalities among these things. Clearly, perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. I think that's 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 a good it's note good. to end this on. And thanks to all of you for making it. We thank look forward to having you soon thank again. Thank you.